October 2020 was steeped in COVID negativity. Sure, the stock market was doing pretty well, but our world was not. Many lost due to COVID past, with many more threatened by COVID future, numbers surging in different places around our globe. Well, it was in this milieu that we welcomed and got to know Shirzad Shamin. And if you did not get to hear that first podcast entitled Positive Intelligence with Shirzad Shamin, well, the date was October 21st, 2020. So definitely on Spotify or Apple iTunes or Google Play, go directly back to that podcast. Do not pass go and do not collect $200 because in that episode, you will hear the amazing story of Shirzad Shamin, a little boy born into the toughest of circumstances in Iran and how he matriculated eventually to Stanford Business School, had an epiphany and turned his life's work into making you and me more intelligent. Now, not necessarily more cerebrally intelligent or emotionally intelligent, though perhaps those two. Nope. More positively intelligent, more able to rebound from defeats or disappointments, more able to see the positives in yourself and in your friends and in life, and how transformative that was for him and can be for you and for me. Well, following that October podcast, I got numerous notes to the Rule Breaker Investing mailbag saying, wow, that really changed, improved how I think about things. So for many, a Rule Breaker, Shirzad and his teachings break the rules and are an eye-opener and for me also. But one thing I hadn't yet done then was read his book. I was reacting to things I'd read on the web, but not reacting to things Shirzad himself had written into his New York Times best-selling book, Positive Intelligence, which I have now gone on to read in full, sharing it with family and many a friend. And it's August. And that means this podcast takes its annual end of summer new angle for the past four years. We've called this Authors in August and kicking off the 2021 series, how could I not welcome back our new friend, someone everyone can learn something from, Shirzad Shamin, here to discuss his book, Positive Intelligence, only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. A delight to have you joining with me, not just this week, but I hope throughout the whole month of August. I myself am at the beach right now, and one thing I do at the beach is I read books. Perhaps you are either at a beach or in your head at a beach and able to make some time for our authors in August. I'm excited to have Shirzad Shamin this week to start us. I want to give you two quick notes before I welcome in Shirzad. The first is next week. Well, next week is the book, Do More Great Work by Michael Bungay-Stanier. I'm really looking forward to having Michael join with us. And I highly recommend reading this book. You may not have time before next week. You might not have finished Positive Intelligence yet for this week, but these, these are in part for you to explore and discover new books and the opportunity to talk through what is bad work in this world, what is good work in this world, but what is your great work in this world will be the domain of next week. That's bookkeeping note number one. The second and final bookkeeping note before starting this week's podcast, I want to mention on a sad note, a previous author who had appeared with me in October of 2017, I have to admit I hadn't kept up with him, and I'm sorry to say that he's no longer with us. But Anders Ericsson, who wrote the book Peak, about how you and I can achieve, well, our human peak, whoever we are, 
whatever we're doing through deliberate practice, through putting in those 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell has popularized so well. Anders Ericsson, the academic behind a lot of that work, and a delightful interview on October 4th, 2017. I'm sorry to say he left this world in the last 12 months. I had not noticed, and I want to thank him for all of his great work and reminding us that greatness can be achieved by all of us if you're willing to put your head to it. It's amazing what deliberate practice can help you become. All right. Well, the year was 2012, nine years ago. Do you remember what you were doing in 2012? I don't really remember so well what I was doing, but one thing was happening for sure. Shirzad was publishing his book, Positive Intelligence, which has now been translated into more than 20 other languages besides English, in which I've recently read it. And I'm delighted now to share and welcome Shirzad Shamin with us to Rule Breaker Investing this week. Welcome, Shirzad. Thank you. Delighted to be with you again, David. Thank you very much. And, you know, I was thinking back to one of my favorite stories that you tell in Positive Intelligence. And again, when you and I talked last October, I hadn't read the book yet, so I didn't know the story, but it made a big impression on me. And I bet it will for anybody who has not heard it before. So if you would be so kind, Shirzad, let's start our conversation this week with you telling us the stallion story. Yes, the stallion story. I love that story because it illustrates one of the key principles of our work, which is absolutely everything can be converted into a gift and opportunity. Everything can be converted into a gift and opportunity. Uh, the stallion story that illustrates that comes from Taoist China. And it's the story of this age old farmer who lives on a farm with his prized stallion. And one day he uh, enters his stallion in a nearby village competition. And his stallion wins first prize. The uh, neighbors are Amazing. so happy and they come to him and congratulate him. We're so happy your stallion won first prize. And the farmer says, who knows what is good and what is bad? That's a very strange response to that congratulations. So the neighbors are puzzled, they go away. A week or so passes, the thieves in the area have discovered, well, the stallion has won first prize. He's more precious. He's more worthy. So they come and steal the stallion. The neighbors bring their condolences. And once again, the farmer says, who knows what is good and what is bad? Very strange response. The neighbors are puzzled. <laughs> they go away. <laughs> Another week or so passes. The stallion is a very free-spirited stallion. He breaks away from his captors. He finds his way back to the farmer's farm. Along the way, he's a very good-looking stallion. He befriends all these precious wild mares, enters the farmer's farm himself and all these precious wild mares. The neighbors bring their congratulations. And once again, the farmer says, who knows what is good and what is bad? By now, the neighbors are beginning to think, this guy is crazy. These are insane <laughs> answers to our, to our uh, thoughts. And so they're, they, they're puzzled. They go away. Another week or so passes. The farmer has a young adult son who is trying to tame one of these wild mares. He is thrown to the ground and he breaks his leg. The neighbors bring their condolences, and once again, the farmer says, who knows what is good and what is bad? 
Now, by now in the story, the neighbors are beginning to think this guy is getting really old. These are insane answers. We gotta go get some help for him. They go away. Another week or so passes. By the way, you know, this is a very eventful kind of a village. Like every week, <laughs> lots of stuff happens in this village. It's a very exciting place to live. So, a week or so has passed. A war breaks out in that region. The imperial army goes from village to village to conscript able-bodied young adults uh, to go to war as soldiers. But they can't take the farmer's son because he has a broken leg. By this time in the story, the neighbors have gotten the idea. They don't even bother to come to the farmer and bring their congratulations because they know what he's going to say. What is he going to say? Please say it with me so you can remember it. Who Who knows knows what is is good and and what what is bad. bad. So there's profound wisdom in this story, and um, I'd be glad to go more into it. But the way that we talk about it, in our work is that, you know, while in the story, the farmer waits for something quote unquote bad to miraculously turn to something good. We actually say, if you believe you can convert anything into a gift and opportunity, you can. So we teach this as a principle of proactively becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Any quote unquote bad thing in your life, you can and shall convert into a gift and opportunity for yourself and your loved ones and the world if you choose to do so which is an important premise of our work. It is, and it's a great story. And I wanted to start there because even for those who have not heard the phrase positive intelligence yet before or who don't know the acronym PQ, that already bridges for anybody a story we can relate to to the work done that relates to it in the form of positive intelligence, your life's work, Shirzad. And so thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. And let me start then slightly more formally this interview by asking you, could you briefly upfront for those hearing it for the first time, could you explain what is positive intelligence and then what is PQ? Yeah, positive intelligence deals with the war raging inside of your mind between Characters in your head that sabotage you, we call those the saboteurs, agents of self-sabotage, versus the part of you we call the sage that serves you. Uh, And so in a way, if you are a fan of Star Wars, it's the war inside your mind between your inner Darth Vader's and inner Jedi. Every human alive has this going on. I have it. You have it. And the level of positive intelligence depends on the strength of your sage, your inner Jedi versus the strength of your saboteurs, your inner Darth Vader's. Mm. In per, uh, positive intelligence is about increasing the positive part of yourself and quieting and diminishing the negative part of you because your saboteurs are the agents of self-sabotage through generating negative emotions and negative responses. Your sage, your inner Jedi handles all challenges in life with a positive mindset. So your positive intelligence is a balance of power between these two. We want to grow your positive intelligence. The impact is uh, peak performance and success comes from positive, high, positive intelligence. Uh, and relationships are dramatically improved through higher positive intelligence and wellness, feeling you know, peace and calm and uh, wellness versus uh, stressed all the time is very much impacted by that too. Thank you. And you know, one way that I learned some of the math behind this, which we're about to talk about, didn't initially come from positive intelligence, but I'm assuming you were basing a lot of your work on some of these same insights. Psychologists, I've often said, 
tell us that the pain of loss is three times the joy of gain. And the reason that that's important to anybody listening to this podcast is because we talk a lot about investing, and it's amazing how many people fear losing money with their investment. And now we kind of know why, because we humans are hardwired to feel as if the downsides, for evolutionary reasons you can explain, are a lot more impactful, meaningful than the upsides. But the beauty of rule breaker investing is that investing in the math works exactly opposite, actually infinitely so. I would say, Shirzad, that for investors, the joy of gain is infinite times the pain of loss because a stock can only ever lose 100% of its value. And I still really have never done that for any of our members that I picked stocks for for 27 years. But the upside is truly unlimited. We've seen great companies go up 100, 500 times in value. And so it directly controverts the math of our hardwired intelligence. So that's kind of where I can start coming in with the three to one ratio. Because when you talk about PQ, I would love for you to explain a little bit of the math of what's going on. Yeah, PQ, uh, which stands for positive intelligence quotient, is that shows the relative strength of the positive part of your brain versus your negative. And the factor of three to one that David just mentioned is precisely the point where the PQ, your PQ is 75, which means, uh, which means that there's a three to one ratio happening. And there's something profound that happens when your positivity versus negativity is a ratio of three to one, because it takes three times more positive to wash out one negative, precisely because of what David said, that our brain holds on to the negative by a factor of at least three to one, and some say five to one. Therefore, you need to wash wash away, you know, a negative with at least three times the positive. So the PQ score of 75 is a tipping point beyond which people are kind of uplifted by an internal vortex of positivity. Only about 20% of the population is in that upward-facing vortex beyond the tipping point. About 75, 80% of the population is below that, which is why the book's subtitle is Why Only 20% of Teens and Individuals Achieve Their True Potential and How You Can Achieve Yours, meaning how do you uplift yourself, get to the tipping point uh, PQ uh, uh, strength so that you're uplifted by your internal positivity, versus constantly dragged down by internal negativity, which is what the game of the saboteurs is. And Shirzad, that 75 numbers. So for all of us, that means 75% of the time or more, give yourself a big green check mark if you find yourself having positive interactions with a spouse, with a child, with a colleague at work, with the world at large, with yourself, three quarters or more of the time, if you are having positive interactions, then you're in a good place that that upper vortex that you're talking about. But you're also mentioning if you're not quite there, like maybe two out of three times you're doing it, but not three out of four. And and what exactly is happening to the brain? Why why are these things true, Shirzad? So think about it. Uh, the, uh, The negative has played an evolutionary role for our survival. So our ancestors living in the in the jungle, you know, the ancestor that was really negative and assumed the worst about everything and just was paranoid and uh, dark on, about everything. Then when a tree started shaking and that ancestor looked at uh, what might be coming 
uh, from behind the tree, always assume the worst and said, there's a tiger coming out to eat me alive, paranoid, <laughs> and negative, ran away every time. 99 times out of 100, uh, he was wrong or she was wrong. The one time that she was right, it saved her life. Now, imagine if that distant ancestor was a positive leaning person and said, you know what? Tree started shaking. I don't know what's coming behind it, but I have a good <laughs> feeling about things. I'm optimistic today. I think it's a koala bear coming to give me a hug. How, how long do you think that ancestor lasted? So the, the predisposition to negative was helpful for our survival. It was much more important for you to remember the color of this poisonous snake that killed your neighbor versus the color of the butterfly. Who cares about the color of the butterfly? Because it didn't impact your survival, but the remembering the negative was helpful for your survival, which is why your brain holds on to the negative stimulation more than by a factor of at least three to one relative to the positive. Now, if you bring this to the relationship, the way that David was, was beginning to talk about, if I have a negative interaction with you, criticize you, make you feel diminished, judge you and all that stuff, that's, that's going to be held on to your brain by a factor of three to one, which means I need to have a positive interaction with you, praise you for something that is good, show you love, show you appreciation three times so that it kind of gets to a balance of zero, which means really strong relationships are ones where the relative number of positive to negative interaction is at least three to one. So think of, think, uh, ask yourself, when you open your mouth and use the name of your spouse or significant other or your kid, are they cringing and saying, oh my God, here he is going to criticize me again? Or are they expecting beautiful positive interaction mm. based on the frequency of positive to negative? If they're saying, oh, my God, here we go again, it's a telltale sign that you only open your mouth when something is not right and you are not as proactive in opening your mouth when something is right. I mean, why not open our mouths and say, hey, honey, uh, you know, you're lit up today. Hey, honey, I just woke up this morning appreciating that you're in my life. Hey, how are you doing? And really mean the question, not just absentmindedly ask it. These are all positive interactions that have somebody feel seen, cared for, loved. So that when the criticism comes, there is a, okay, I am already feeling so great. And maybe he's going to now uh, trying to help me get even better. That's, it's welcomed. Uh, I want to improve myself if I'm feeling good about myself, right? I welcome feedback. But if I'm feeling awful about myself because of all these interactions, then I don't want to hear anything else. You open your mouth. Mm -hmm. I don't want to hear it because it's all about what's not good versus what is good in our relationship. And I, I'm just nodding my head as you say it because, boy, guilty as charged at different points in my own life. And, you know, a big part of your focus is also just on what we tell ourselves. And that's the saboteurs. That's Those are the voices inside our mind because those same interactions that you're having with others, a lot of people beat themselves up. They don't three to one themselves in their own mind. And I, I gather that is that is just as important. You know, a particular analogy you've used in the past, which will make a lot of sense for this money show that you find yourself on this week, Shirzad, is that each time we interact, we are making a deposit uh, when it's positive. We are putting uh, savings up in the bank, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. But if we are negative, if we bring somebody else down or ourselves down, that's an immediate withdrawal of three coins. So we have to keep filling up the bank uh, so that when we withdraw, which we often maybe don't mean to, it's a lot less painful. So anyway, I love the money analogy. That's awesome. One other thing about the brain, Shirzad, and here's where the layman like me 
doesn't really know that much because I haven't studied the brain or read lots of books about how our brains work. But could you explain a little bit more of the science going on? Just use some of the terms. What is our sage part of our brain called? What is the saboteur part of our brain called? And and especially, I think modern knowledge about the brain shows us that it's much more plastic and changeable than they thought a generation ago, where sometimes people would say, brains are fully formed at the age of 12, and you can't get any smarter after that, and you can't learn new languages and all those kinds of things. And that's all bunk. Yeah, it's the, one of the most exciting things about recent neuroscience is neuroplasticity, that our brain is like a muscle and as you exercise different regions of it, it gets stronger and stronger way into our advanced age. Uh, so indeed, old dogs do learn new tricks. That is one of the lies that we've been telling ourselves. <clears throat> and uh, very importantly, all our saboteurs, the ones who generate negative emotions in response to challenges, live in a region of the brain we call the survival brain. So there are a couple of chapters in my book about just the neuroscience of this and uh, that region, it's not just the flight, fight or flight response, that's just a small part of it. It's a much larger region than that. Uh, what I want you to know is that when that region of your brain is activated, it doesn't matter what's happening in front of you. It doesn't matter how many good things are happening in your life. You are gonna be feeling negative emotions, of mm. stress, upset, disappointment. You just can't help yourself because that part of the brain can't help itself. It is wired to focus on the negative, to be fear-based and to generate uh, those negative emotions and the stress hormone cortisol. On the other hand, the region, uh, so we call that the survival part of the brain. The, the other region we call the PQ part of the brain, entirely different areas. And there, when that region of the brain is activated, also you can't help yourself. You'll be feeling positive emotions such as empathy, compassion, love, curiosity, joy of creativity. That's the part of the brain that's wired for creativity and also calm, clear-headed, laser-focused action. And so one of the things that we pay attention to is not just which voice is talking in my head, but which region of my brain is activated, because depending on which region of your brain is activated, it leads to the voice that's talking in your head. Is your saboteur talking mm. to you? Is your sage? Is the inner Darth Vader? Is inner Jedi? So this work is literally about developing command over our own mind, not our, having our mind just run the show, but us commanding our mind which region to activate and which voice to use. We become a master of our own life versus just be run by a lot of the dysfunctions of our mind. Mm, really well said. We're going to get more into that now because, Shirzad, in your book, Positive Intelligence, you basically lay down three strategies. They form the bulk of the work itself. And the three strategies, and we're going to go through them one at a time, number one, weaken saboteurs. Weaken those dark voices telling you that she did this for that reason because she always thinks this about you. The saboteurs. The second strategy, the second big section of the book, strengthening your sage. That's the Jedi, as you said earlier. And then the third part of the book is building your PQ brain muscles. So again, these are the three key sections of the book. I think a good structure for our interview. So let's kick it off with weakening the saboteurs. Now, if math serves me and memory serves me right, I think you've identified 10 saboteurs, Shirzad, but one of them reigns supreme over the other nine. Which one is that? Yeah, that's the judge saboteur. It's the only saboteur that everybody has. So just as an overview of the saboteurs, the judge is the master saboteur. Then there are nine other saboteurs 
with names like controller, avoider, victim, stickler, pleaser. Uh, so we can talk more about that. But for now, the judge is the universal one. And it's the one that's constantly finding what's wrong with you, what's wrong with others, and what's wrong with the situations and circumstances of your life. It's the one that wakes you up at three in the morning and says, shame on you, David, you stupid idiot. Why did you make, why did you make that stupid mistake yesterday? When are you ever going to learn? Or wakes you up at three in the morning and says, David, who the hell do you think you are to succeed in this thing tomorrow that you're going to do? You know, you're just a, just a fraud. You know, you just got lucky until here and basically keep badgering you for the imperfect person that you are. Also, of course, finding what's wrong with others in your life constantly, right? And what's right and what's wrong with your situations and circumstances, why you can't be happy yet uh, versus what is what is perfectly right with your life and how you can be happy today if you really chose to be. On page 55 of the book, I'm just going to quote you at different points here, Shirzad. You, you write, quote, In all my years of coaching, I have never worked with anyone who was not substantially sabotaged by a persistent judge character, even though many were initially unaware of that fact. Your judge saboteur is your private enemy number one. It impacts your well-being, success, and happiness far more than any public enemy ever could, period, end quote. One thing I've learned some through doing my work, reading your book, and I have the pleasure of having gone through the course, the six-week course that you that you teach. You have videos, you welcome us each morning with a thought for the day, and it's a deeper, understandably, experience than just the book. Now, let me just be clear. The book on its own is amazing, but part of what I learned about myself through going through your app, and this probably doesn't reflect well on me, but I decided that I actually don't kick myself that much. I tend to sit there in judgment of others. I know a lot of people are afflicted by their inner demons saying you're an imposter, you know, you're not as good as you think. I'm actually somebody who probably tells myself I'm doing just fine too much of the time, but I sure do know my judge. I sit there and I think, you know, that person could have chosen a better word there or and, and I've tried to silence this and, and you can. You can get better at it over time. But I realize there is a lot of the world that kicks itself, uh, and and I feel as if that's the majority of the world. Am I right in that in that generalization? Yeah, you're right. And as a matter of fact, uh, I think one of the most transformational pieces of work that we focus on is to help people shift from the self brutality of their judge mm. to the unconditional love of their sage for themselves. And so I, for example, I used to absolutely hate myself. I had a judge so brutal, I called him the executioner. And the voice was constantly in my head saying, Shirzad, you're unworthy of any of any love or any success you've ever had. You're just a fraud. You'll be discovered for the idiot that you are any day now. That voice, by the way, hasn't gone away. It's still in my head, except that I don't trust that voice anymore. It doesn't run me anymore. So, but that is my judge saboteur. And I had, but now I like start my Stanford TEDx talk. I get up on stage and I say, I want you to know that I'm absolutely incredibly and totally awesome. And I mean (laughs) that. I love myself. I think I'm an awesome, wonderful human being. My true self, my sage is beautiful. And I have nasty saboteurs, like a very ugly judge saboteur. But that is not true me. I am aware of it. I acknowledge it. And I am working on it, right? So in that sense, I want I want all of you to be able to fall in love with yourself again by remembering who you truly are, your true self. 
and put on notice your false self, which is the saboteurs, and uh, you know, be able to start taking away their power and credibility. So we did talk about the judge inappropriately enough because the judge is what reigns above all the others. But part of my discovery of your work last year was taking the personality test, which anybody can take at positiveintelligence.com and find out, you know, what are the the other saboteurs beside the judge that particularly speak to you or to me in ways that don't help us, that, as you say, sabotage us. And we, we're not going to go through all nine of those. Of course, they're right there in the book. I do highly recommend the free personality test. Uh, we found it rather addictive as soon as my wife had taken it because a friend of hers mentioned it to her. She's like, you should take this. I was like, sure, I love personality tests. I'll take that one. Then we had our kids do it. We told other friends. I think it's a really wonderful way to get in touch with some of this work. But I wanted, rather than name each of the nine, we don't have time for that this time, but where do they come from? Why do they exist? And why did you choose this concept of sabotage, self-sabotage? Yeah, so uh, so first, uh, people can find out about their saboteurs, positiveintelligence.com. If you click on saboteurs, you can do a saboteur assessment. It's free and it takes five minutes. And in five minutes, you get a bar chart of, of those saboteurs, which ones are strongest ones. The reason we call them saboteurs is that what we show people is that feeling negative emotions is only helpful for the first second of, you know, of being alerted that something isn't working. But then beyond that first second, staying in those negative emotions is sabotaging your effectiveness and well-being. So, for example, if you're in the middle of a project and mistakes and failures are happening, if you don't feel upset and angry and disappointed or any of those things, nothing will change. A bad thing will become worse and worse. So it's really good to say, oh, my God, this is terrible. You know, this project is, is failing. I got to do something about it. But once the wake up occurs, one second of negativity, then if you stay angry, if you stay upset, your brain is tunnel visioned into a place that creates contagion of negativity with everybody around you. You are tunnel visioned. That part of your brain is not capable of clear thinking and clear action. So what we want you to do is learn to shift your brain activation from the negative one to the one that's calm, clear headed, laser focused on. So what do I do now? How do I creatively figure out what to do with the situation so I turn even a failure into a gift? So the reason we call the saboteurs the saboteurs is that they keep your hand on the hot stove. And instead of just feeling the pain and removing your hand, they keep your hand on the hot stove and mm. you keep feeling angry and you keep feeling the pain, you keep feeling the upset. And then you wonder why life is so hard. Clearly, they are sabotaging you. Therefore, we call them the saboteurs. So whether it's the controller, avoider, stickler, victim, pleaser, whatever they are, they are the ones who generate negative emotions for more than a helpful first second. Therefore, they are sabotaging you. I love that hot stove analogy. I also love this quote from page 33 of the book, which reminds us that from our earliest days, those saboteurs start for understandable reasons. And I quote, Shirzad, quote, Imagine if you put a cast on your broken leg when you were five years old to protect it from further hurt and then never took it off. As bizarre as that might sound, it is not too far from what actually happens to us mentally and emotionally with our saboteurs. The saboteurs were the initial casts that protected us, but not removing them in adulthood limits our mental and emotional freedom, end quote. Wow, that was well written, David. I'm, I'm proud of that passage. <laughs> I like that analogy. 
And indeed, your saboteurs are agents of survival. They come into our life to help us survive mentally and emotionally as a child. For example, I have a victim saboteur. I discovered it you know, long into my adulthood. And initially, it was because I was not getting much love or attention in my home growing up. And so because I wasn't getting love, I gave myself self-pity through feeling sorry for myself. And feeling like a victim, that narrative was very soothing. Self-pity was a very soothing thing. It was a poor replacement, but still a replacement for love, which I didn't have. Now, it was I was way into my adulthood when I realized that, hey, self-pity, that, that soothing that victim saboteur brought me was no substitute for self-love. But that took, took me quite a while because I had no idea that I was even doing it. But it was a very effective survival strategy when I was a kid. So all saboteurs do that in our childhood, and then they outlive their purpose when they're adults. That's where they come from, their survival instincts, and indeed they help us survive. The problem is if they keep your hand on that hot stove, to use your wonderful analogy. I want to now move on to the second section of the book, Strengthening Our Sage. Now, for our previous conversation last October, Shirzad, I was well-steeped in saboteur understanding. I knew what mine were. For the record, I'm a hyperachiever, an avoider, and a pleaser. And I've tried to get better at reducing those voices in my head. You know, there is a positive side of every one of these saboteurs. I mean, being somebody who's a pleaser, I mean, that's great up to a point. Trying to please other people, it has you thinking a lot about whether you are pleasing them. And there's there's some other centeredness that's not so self-centered there. But the problem is when you take any of these too far and they become your own operating system. Yeah. And, and really what we say is that it's not the saboteur that's useful. There are certain powers you have that the saboteur is overusing and abusing. So, so basically, one way to look at any saboteur is that it takes your greatest natural strength and converts it into your greatest weakness by overusing or abusing mm. that strength. To give you an example, David, you used the example of, a, of the pleaser. Well, uh, I know when somebody tells me that pleaser is a strong saboteur that they have, then I can tell them, I can tell you for sure that one of your greatest natural strengths that you were born with was empathy, that you're a caring, empathic human being. I have that too. So that's, that's one of my greatest strengths. Now, when my sage comes in and uses that deep empathy and caring, I have used that to the advantage in my, uh, in my career. It has been a very important part of my success in my career. That is not my pleaser saboteur. That's my sage using my empathy power appropriately. But when my daughter comes in and wants to do something, and I know the right thing to, to say is to say no and set some boundaries, but my pleaser wants to not say no and can't say no, and I say yes, that's a reluctant empathy, which is the abuse of the empathy power, mm. which is now a pleaser which doesn't serve. So being a pleaser is never helpful. Being empathic under the command of the stage is always helpful. The same thing with, say, the controller. A controller, like my daughter, has a controller saboteur. And I tell her uh, one of her greatest natural strengths is the force of personality, is confidence, is being uh, uh, driven and ob having uh, you know, high objectives and having you know, uh, charisma. These are wonderful things. If your sage uses them, it will be used in service of leading people. But when your controller overuses them, then people feel controlled, people don't feel seen, people don't feel heard. So we never want me to be the controller, but we want to be a charismatic 
leader in sage mode and that's so my work with her is keep the power but let don't let the saboteurs use it have your sage use that positive power don't let your saboteur overuse it and turn it into a negative it's a great example. And a lot of this is about the responses that we give to others or even ourselves, but it's how you respond and that you can choose your response, especially as you gain more self-command and more self-awareness. You truly can choose how to respond. And it's about a sage response instead of a saboteur response. You know, Shirzad, earlier this year, I did a the 300th weekly consecutive podcast for this Rule Breaker yeah. Investing podcast, and there were three sections, and they each had a one-word name, and the second section was simply the word is. It's about what is and accepting what is. And I'm going to quote you from page 72 of the book. You wrote, the sage perspective is about accepting what is rather than denying, rejecting, or resenting what is. The sage perspective accepts every outcome and circumstance as a gift and opportunity, period, end quote. Now, that's a phrase that I don't know if it's going to be on your gravestone one day, but it is almost synonymous in my mind with so much of your work around positive intelligence. Obviously, the stallion story that you led off with this week is a great example of accepting everything as a gift and opportunity. But it is about the responses that we give things and choosing the best ones. And, and, uh, you know, about half of the people that I coach i coach a lot of ceos a lot about half of them have a spiritual uh practice of some kind and what they tell me is you know the search perspective that everything is a gift and opportunity uh that's what my spiritual tradition teaches and i say okay awesome then great then use this perspective as a way of living your spiritual practice but then half of them are atheists or agnostics and what i tell them is don't believe the sage perspective that everything is a gift and opportunity as a matter of a spiritual leap of faith Believe in it because it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If something is going wrong in a project and you say, oh, this is terrible, terrible, terrible. What's wrong with us? This is how awful stuff is happening. If you allow that to then start a cascading of negative emotion, which then gets contagious to the people who are working with you, you'll turn Mm. a bad thing into worse. But what happens if you say, you know what? Mistakes and failures have happened. We can and we shall turn this into a gift and opportunity. Imagine what are the emotions you're going to be experiencing. You're going to be feeling optimistic. You're going to feeling, be feeling curious. You're going to be feeling creative about how do we turn this into a gift? What is the gift? And in that, you generate positivity, not just in yourself and others. You activate everybody's brain in the region that's wired for creativity and resourcefulness. So you figure the gift, you generate it, not because it's a spiritual leap of faith, but because it is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So the question is every day, as things don't go your way, as things aren't exactly what you had wanted and wished for, what's the self-fulfilling prophecy are you bringing to that situation? Is it the saboteur saying, this is bad, 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 which will make it worse? Or is it the say saying, I can and I shall convert this into a gift? Which self-fulfilling prophecy are you choosing to live your life out of? And that's a beautiful rhetorical question, and we'll leave that one right there. As we move on now, and let's discuss these a little bit. We've been referring to the sage. You've identified five sage powers, and I'd like to just list those now. I do have them committed to memory as a reader of your book and a fan of your work. I know in no particular order, although I think I have the right order, to empathize, number one, to explore, number two, to innovate, number three, to navigate, number four, and number five, to 
activate. So each of those you would say is a sage power and is a response, the right response that you should choose for the appropriate context. Now, I know the most important of those five, I think you would say is empathy. In fact, I want to share back one of those beautifully written passages that a certain author I'm talking to right now shared in his book. I'm going to read it back again from page 176, and I'd love to have you say a little bit more about empathy. You already have some, but here's the quote. Quote, empathizing with someone else who has just stubbed their toe doesn't mean you are rewarding their carelessness or encouraging them to do it again. It simply means you're feeling their pain and letting them know it. Empathy should be decoupled from problem-solving or deciding on a solution. It is a critical, standalone sage power that makes people more willing to bring other sage powers into their interactions, such as innovation, navigation, and activation, end quote. Yeah, the, the reason empathy is the starting point is that the judge usually, which is the counter counter reaction to empathy, the judge is constantly finding what's wrong with the situation, what's especially wrong with the other person or you, and it begins a cascading of negativity. So when we are like, let's say something is going wrong in an interaction, if I bring empathy to myself as the fallible human being that I am, as opposed to anger and shame to myself, what the hell are you doing this wrong for? It begins the, the, the spiraling of the positive energies in my brain rather than the spiraling of the negative emotions. So the, remember, I, I was talking about brain activation. Which brain are you activating to deal with the challenge? And empathy is a very nice doorway to activating the uh, sage part of your brain so that you handle the situation positively. And it really starts with us embracing ourselves as the imperfect human beings that we are. We will all go to our graves still very imperfect beings an imperfect, uh, you know, mixed bag of extraordinarily beautiful sage and some really off-putting saboteurs. I am that way. You are that way. Every one of your loved ones is, is, is that way. Why not embrace that as the human condition and even find the beauty of imperfection, you know? And so, so bring empathy to us being such fallible, imperfect human beings so that we can get off of shaming and guilting ourselves constantly and get on with, okay, now, given this imperfect situation, what went wrong, how do I turn even this into a gift? How do I even turn my imperfection into a gift? And it creates a very different experience. So the empathy power is first and foremost, and I want to say, put it on yourself first, bring it to yourself first, the oxygen mask on yourself is not a selfish thing to do. If you are busy falling in love with yourself, not arrogantly, but really loving yourself for the beautiful being that you are, as imperfect as you are, you're going to be much more compassionate, much more forgiving of others' imperfections. Mm, so such a one-to-one one there. you're constantly beating yourself up, you know, you, you, why, why treat others any better? You're beating yourself up, let's treat the other one the same way. Mm. So it starts with you. Thank you for that. And, you know, this conversation, by the way, if I ask you all that I would want to about your book, it will go too long. So we could go two hours or more, but I'm going to try to be a little bit more self-disciplined. So I want to set you up with each of the other four powers of the sage, which really empathy enables, as you just pointed out. And maybe yeah. just give us, you know, your one best thought about each of these. So the second one after empathy is exploration and exploring. Yeah, so explore is the power to be truly in beginner's mind. And 
really try to find out what's truly happening before you decide on an action. And we notice that we often aren't truly in deep, deep, deep curiosity and beginner's mind when we ask questions. We are coming from the judge or the controller or other saboteurs that really preload the question with the kind of things we want to find out. So therefore, we are not in deep exploration. The pure explore mode of the sage is total beginner's mind, unattachment to what we're going to find out, deep curiosity about what is really going on here <laughs> without being attached to what we're going to discover. Cultural anthropologists about ourselves and those around us in situations that we find just being deeply curious and, and, and wanting to learn and not thinking we already have the answer and just putting it out there. So that's explore and exploration. The third one is innovation. Now, that's an important word for a lot of people hearing this podcast. In our businesses, we try to innovate. As a stock picker and investor, I'm always asking who's the innovator and generally trying to put my dollars there. So in a lot of ways, it's obvious that it's a sage power. But what is not obvious about innovation and innovating in this context? So, uh, so as we talk about these five hours, I want to make sure they're not pulled out of thin air. They came from factor analysis work, which is trying to figure out all the saboteurs and the sage powers came from factor analysis work mm. to figure out at the root of all of the differences in, in positive and negative behavior, what are the building blocks? What are the root building blocks? On the negative side, it ends up being the 10 saboteurs. On the positive, it ends up being the five sage powers. Uh, so it massively simplifies our attempt to improve ourselves because it, it, we, we not only focus on the core building blocks and then everything else take, takes care of itself. When it comes to innovate, a very uh, you know helpful thing to know is that the region of the brain that is wired for creativity is the sage region that we have talked about. So if you are in the deep analytical thinking, if you're thinking really, really hard about something, you're actually activating the left region of the brain, which is not wired for creativity. So one of the key things that we help people realize is the analytical mind is really helpful, but that's a hammer that's good for nails. But if you think really, really hard and bring more analytical thinking, you're actually moving away from the region of brain where the sage lives, which is more right brain, which is wired for thinking out of the box and coming up with things that are truly innovative. Thank you very much. And one thing I've learned, tried to make it a habit, I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I love it, is always trying to pull something positive out of whatever your friend, colleague, your brainstorm mate, whoever, whatever they said, as cockeyed or crazy as you might have actually thought, whether or not you're right, whether that's your judge telling you something wrong or your sage saying, that's not a very good idea. Nevertheless, 10%, at least 20% of whatever you just were exposed to, you probably can pull out and say that you appreciate that and that connects with you as well. And so it's that yes and game that a lot of us know from improvisation and professional improv. I'm not one of those people, but I know that's the game. You encourage us to play the game as we innovate. Yeah. So what we say is in any conflict, the other party is at least 10% right. The other party is not a complete idiot. They have some value <laughs> and merit. So in the saboteur way of interacting with others is, we try to prove ourselves 100% right. The sage is say, you know, in every challenge and conflict, the other party is at least 10% right and get curious about what's 10% truth on the other side. And so mm. what happens when that 
when as I'm listening to you, I keep finding what's right and build on it, right? And keep hammering on what's not completely changes the nature of the conversation and shifts both of us to what's generative, uh, which is what innovation needs rather than diminishing, which is what the saboteurs bring to a conversation. Well said and so true. You know, one of the truisms that I've I learned this as a younger person, and I've, I've tried to keep this top of mind for me is, you know this already, we tend to judge others by their results and ourselves by our own intentions. So as I cut somebody off on the highway because I'm a faulty creature and I wave at them briefly and I'm sorry, but I have to get to this exit. I think, I know what I was trying to do there. I'm a good person overall. I just made a mistake and I'm sorry that I cut you off. If we've been cut off, a lot of us will instantly think that person was malicious, possibly evil. Why were you targeted? What was it that you did that had them cutting you off? And so we tend again to judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their results. So I've tried to suggest subverting that. And if you want to become a better human being on this earth, start trying to judge yourself by your results and outcomes and others by their intentions. There's some cultural anthropologists there, and there's some yes and there as well. Well, let me keep us moving here, Shirzad, because the fourth sage power that I want to get to quickly is to navigate and navigation. What do you mean in that context? The navigate power of the sage has you live your life in a way that's in accordance with deeper uh, sense of meaning and purpose. And the, one of the quote unquote techniques that we use or games that we play to uh, access that is we ask uh, your uh, wiser elder self at the end of your life, looking back at this situation, what would still appear as important and meaningful to pay attention to? So anytime I'm not quite sure what's important in a situation, I ask myself at the end of my life, looking back at this situation, what would still appear like important? And I would be glad that I paid attention to that. And often that question has us really realize that 95% of stuff we concern ourselves with are completely trivial stuff that really don't have any <laughs> lasting importance. And what really matters is relationship. What really matters is integrity. What really matters is if we lived our values, if we acted positively, all that stuff. That becomes really clear when you ask the navigate question from yourself. Mm. And we call that consulting your own wiser, elder self at the end of your life, looking back at a situation. Mm. It's a wonderful way to help us navigate. And sometimes that wiser elder self will want you not to do what you're thinking you're about to do. Other yeah. times that wiser elder self will hope that you do take that risk or do yeah. that thing that you're thinking, whether you should do it or not. So it's a wonderful framework and I've used it to good effect myself. And that's navigate. The last of the five sage powers is activation to activate. Yes, and the activate is, uh, we call that the ability to, you know, move into calm, clear-headed, laser-focused, fearless action. It's very powerful and it's, uh, it makes things happen. And the analogy I use often is like the Jedi in war being attacked by five different people, five different directions. She's not all frenzied and upset and scared and all of that stuff. She's calm, clear-headed, laser-focused in the midst of the most urgent challenge of her life. Why? Because she knows if she's upset and stressed, she, and why did you attack me? Why? I thought you were my friend. Uh, and you know, the other person is going to kill her because she's not focused anymore. So, 
activate is about really being that much in command of your mind. So you're laser focused, calm, clear headed, and fearless as you take action, rather than all the drama of the saboteurs, stress, and all the other drama that they bring, which is the focusing from what action really needs to be taken. And I guess the reason you included as the final one is because after doing some of that empathizing and some of that exploring and some innovation and some navigating, in the end, we are need to be creatures of activity. You, you obviously coach a lot of CEOs. You're used to working with people who, bottom line, have to take an action. A lot of us can delay as long as we can sometimes the procrastinators among us taking action. And and that can even be positive in some circumstances. Perhaps your wiser elder self would counsel you in some context to procrastinate a bit longer. But in the end, when you're ready to take action, it's about doing it, as you say, in a laser-focused manner. And I do love that Jedi picture. Shuzad, are you a, are you a big Star Wars fan or is this just a fun framework? Big Star Wars fan because actually a lot of the principles we teach is is jedi mind you know you're you're not upset and you don't bring negative energy and you're fierce and powerful and yet caring so all of those yes love it. jedi that's what you're bringing out love it well i'm going to give short shrift to this just because of time considerations but the third key section of the book that i'm outlining here in this interview with you is your build your pq brain muscles section now a lot of us may fully understand what you're saying about saboteurs and sage, or if not fully, we understand enough, a lot more than when we started the conversation today. But still, a lot of us might be unclear. What are you saying or counseling us to do when you say build your PQ, that's positive intelligence quotient, positivity, basically build your brain muscles? How? Yeah, so ultimately, this work is about self-command of you running your mind rather than letting your mind with all of its chatter and negativity run you. And so we call, we literally call this the muscle of self-command that activates that positive region of your brain when you find yourself beginning to go negative. And it actually is done with this uh, simple technique we call, we call the PQ wrap. So just like if you do dumbbells, it'll, uh, if you do dumbbell reps, you build up your uh, bicep muscles. If you do PQ reps, it builds up your self-command muscle and the entire region of your brain where your positive sage lives. And there are simple things that we can do. Uh, those 10 second exercises, uh, the book has like more than a hundred of those examples, but let me give you one example that you can do today. So if you take, uh, right now, if you take two fingertips, gently uh, take two fingertips and gently rub two fingertips against each other with such attention that you can actually feel the fingertip ridges on both fingers to take Two fingertips, gently rub them against each other with such attention that you can feel the fingertip ridges on both fingers. What you have just done, if you had your head under a functional MRI, you would have seen that it ever so slightly quieted the region of your brain where your saboteurs live Mm. and ever so slightly activated the region of your brain where your sage lives. And you issued command to your mind. You told your mind, I don't want you to think about yesterday and tomorrow and this and that. I want you to focus on what I want you to focus on. So you're building self-command, self-command, self-command. Now, if, you, if you're familiar with meditation mindfulness, you realize a similarity here. What we have done is go to the core building block of which meditation and mindfulness are special form. The beauty of these PQ reps is you can do them with your eyes open 
you don't have to be in a meditation room, closed eye with mantras or music or whatever. You, there are closed eye versions, open eye versions, which means that you can shift your brain activation in the middle of meeting a big challenge of your life, in the middle of a crisis in your investment, so that you need to shift a clear headed to figure out what decision to make. In the middle of a fight with your spouse, in the middle of handling the challenges of life, you learn how to shift your brain activation so you get access to the power of your sage. Mm. And speaking of which, I'm very happy to say Shirzad has graciously consented to do a five-minute set of PQ reps as a Rule Breaker Investing Weekend Extra. So this Saturday morning or sometime during your weekend, if you'd like to hear Shirzad talk you through some of this and help you wherever you are, that'll work for this weekend or any time in future. It's a wonderful taste of some of the work that he does with his six-week guided course and the application that some of us have used uh, after reading his book. So thank you for that, Shirzad. I look forward to doing that together. My pleasure. And we'll now return to sort of the final section of our interview. This is the anything goes, let's have fun with a few questions. And Shirzad, for seven years now, this podcast has spent about a third of its time on investing. Yep, that's why it's called Rule Breaker Investing. A third of its time on business, because there's so much overlap between investing and business, and a third of its time on life. So I thought if I could spot you up, starting with investing, a couple of lines of yours that feel like they speak to investors or business people or fellow livers of life. You could give us like 30 to 60 seconds of coaching on each of these. And are you up for playing this game with me? Sure. Excellent. Good. So I have two for investors. The first one, bear markets are a gift and an opportunity. Do you agree or disagree? Absolutely. Bear markets give you a chance, first of all, to really expose the saboteurs in your brain, which all operate on fear. So anything that has you feel afraid is a telltale mm. sign that your mind is in self-sabotage mode. <clears throat> and what we know is that you know the greatest uh, wealth opportunities come from people who actually begin to to uh, you know purchase uh, uh, stock when they are. Completely beaten down, and right before the bear market is over. So clearly, historically, we know that the bear market has been quite helpful for those who have been wise enough to not uh, to not run away at the wrong time. And therefore, you can begin to uh, learn from that history and make sure you're not fear-based in your decision making. Bear markets are indeed a great gift and opportunity if you're in the positive sage mode of your brain about it. Thank you. And one other thought for investors, you know, we've talked a lot about how to truly invest successfully over the course of one's life. That means regularly buying in and not selling very often. That's what we do as rule breakers, what I've talked a lot about. about. And much of the world, it seems to me, Shirzad, thinks that when they're looking at their stock market portfolio, they should be selling off the ones that are doing well to raise money to invest in the ones that are not. Now, as a rule breaker and somebody who likes to look at conventional wisdom and take a shot at it, I've always thought it's the exact opposite. I first heard this from famous investor Peter Lynch, who said, much of the world is trimming its flowers and watering its weeds. And instead, we should be watering our flowers and trimming the weeds. So this, to me, connects with keeping one's hand on the hot stove. Do you see a similar connection there? Is there anything you'd like to add to this concept? 
what this connects to is that a lot of our saboteurs create an expectation of life being hard and painful. So we don't trust the good experience. Mm. Uh, no pain, no gain is like one of the lies of the saboteur. So if we don't trust the positive experience, then when the positivity is continuing, we sabotage it and say, no, it can't be quite like that. Something wrong here. Let me go to the difficult. It's got to be the, the place where the negative and the fear and the pain lives. And so we want your sage to tr have you trust the good stuff and actually feel that wow. rather, than, rather than try to bring yourself back to the medium. That is a great observation. And thank you for that. Okay. So from those two bits of investing advice, let's move to business advice. And this is really lifted right from positive intelligence. But we have a lot of people in the world of business listening to us right now. And a lot of them are in sales. So I thought it'd be fun, Shirzad, for three bits of business advice to spot you up with how to sell, which you cover a little bit in positive intelligence. And bit of advice, number one, how to sell your PQ channel is more important than the data channel. Could you briefly break down what you mean by that and help those of us in sales? Yeah, anytime you're communicating with another human being, two things, there are two channels in which communication is happening. One is the data channel where the facts and figures and information is being communicated. The other is the invisible PQ channel in which energy, emotion, and context is being transmitted. Human beings respond a whole lot more to what's in that invisible energy, emotion, and context rather than to what data they're being fed. So you want, and the, uh, so the main thing is that you want to make sure when you are in sales that you are communicating the right stuff in that invisible energy, emotion. Uh, channel and the challenge is that if you are in saboteur mode means you are in your fear-based saboteur energy whether no matter what you say the other person is going to be impacted by the negative energy in that channel for example if you are all stressed out about you meeting your quarterly numbers no matter what words you use that says, I am here for you, dear customer, dear prospect, I really care about you, and all I care about is you, at an unconscious level, they're going to pick up that you are in this fear-based channel, and mm. you trigger their fear-based channel. So when you're in saboteur mode, you actually are shifting the other person into their saboteur brain because of mirror neurons that make the brain's con uh, contagion effect happening. And when you have shifted the other person to their fear-based saboteurs, that part of their brain is likely to say no to you because the saboteurs like the status quo. So you have inadvertently shifted the other person into more willingness to say yes, uh, to say no to you rather than yes, which means your job number one in sales is to shift yourself to deep positive emotions of the sage, which means you have activated that region of your brain so much that even if the day, if it's the last day of the quarter, and even if you haven't met your quota at all, you are so in the positive energy of the sage that your only concern is true deep empathy for the other person. Right? And oh my God, what's going to happen to me if I don't make the sale? And, in, and then you're going to make the sale. Mm. And that takes brain activation. You can't think your way into it. You literally need to do these PQ ups to intercept the saboteurs, to shift your sage, so that you authentically mm. feel in positive emotions. Uh, and activate the same in the other person. Mm. Very well explained. And just intuitively, it makes so much sense. It's hard in practice sometimes for a lot of us. And that data channel, the phrase that you use to describe what we're actually saying, often can look very different 
the movie of it versus the transcript word by word of yeah. it. So David, to give you an example of the, the power of the PQ channel versus data channel, let me, let me say this to you. David, I absolutely and totally hate you. I, I just don't like you at all, man. I don't. My goodness, I don't like you at all, David. <laughs> you said that with a smile on your face. I can see it because we're doing video with each other to make <laughs> this podcast happen. But wow, you looked so positive, but it didn't. It, it was so dissonant with what you said. I know. So, so you are hearing the data <laughs> channel. You're hearing I don't like you. In the PQ channel, you're feeling the energy of, I actually like you so much to be willing to tease you. <laughs> the question is, did you buy the words that said, I don't like you, David? Mm. Or did you buy the energy and emotion that says, hey, man, I care about you. I'm teasing you right now. Which one impacted you more? I have to say, I genuinely felt confused by it. And I'm not sure. One, right, thing, yeah, yeah. one thing I'm sure of is I'm not buying today. Yeah. Another bit of business advice you give directly related to this, Shazad, I'm going to quote you again in the book, page 186. It's helpful to remember that the PQ brain is wired to thrive, to say yes to opportunities and new ideas, to explore, to empathize and connect, and to expand. The survivor brain is wired to say no and preserve the status quo. And that's why your advice on this point is your buyer, dear salesperson, your buyer is much more likely to say yes if her PQ brain is being activated. And, and the way to help them activate their PQ brain is you activate your own PQ brain so that mm. you use the contagion effect. Brains have mirror neurons and they create contagion in the other. And therefore, the, uh, one of the things we advise to the, the salespeople to do is right before an important sales interaction, we want you to do a whole lot of these PQ reps. And in our app, we have all sorts of different ways of doing PQ reps so that you charge up, you activate that region of your brain so that you're much more likely to create a contagion effect and that you're not going to be sitting there worried about making a sale, but you're sitting there deep curiosity, deep creativity, deep empathy. You are feeling those feelings rather than going through the technique or motions of empathy, technique or motions mm. of caring about the other. Uh, because that's that's false, that on the PQ channel, people get that it is not true. The last piece of business advice, actually, it's just a question for you, Shuzad. Do you think a salesperson can truly effectively sell if he or she does not believe in their product or service? The short answer is no, and a, a little bit of a longer answer is one of the really important things we want you to do in sales is to connect what you're selling to that navigate power of the sage, which is, what is the meaning and value and purpose of you selling this in the world? In what way is it adding positivity to the mm. world? In what way is it having an impact that at the end of your life, looking back, you're going to say, this was, a, this was a good thing I spent my life in. So connect the work that you do in sale with something that's a little bit more lasting in terms of values and purpose. Then that's going to set a fire inside of you that will be far more you know, contagious than any uh, any other techniques of sales that you may want to use because it comes from a deeper part, an authentic part of you as a human being. Very instructive. Thank you for that. So from some investing advice like bear markets are a gift and an opportunity to some business advice like your buyer is much more likely to say yes if her PQ brain is activated, which means you need to activate your own to really sell well. I'd love two more bits of advice for you, Shuzad. In this case, not about investing your business, but life. But before I do that, could you remind us again, for those who 
will read, I hope everybody will, your book, Positive Intelligence, find themselves inspired, or maybe they're in a position where they'd like to receive some more coaching, how can we go deeper with you and Positive Intelligence? Well, what we find is that beyond the generating insight from the book, what's important is to build mental muscle so that these positive ways become the habits of your mind because the negative ways of the saboteurs have become such a habit. They have built neural pathways in your brain, muscles in the brain. You fight muscle with muscle. So we want you to help generate positive muscles in your brain, neural pathways. And to do that, the minimum amount of time we have found is that you need at least six weeks of practice, 15 minutes a day of practice. So what we have done is create a six-week positive intelligence training program that's uses weekly videos and also uses an app that guides daily practices. So it's called the Positive Intelligence Program. It is on our website, positiveintelligence.com. And David, I understand you and Margaret both did that. And that's how you came so wise about all of this. <laughs> well, I am a fan. And you're mentioning that my wife and I uh, went through the course together. And we've, we've really been enriched by it. I'm happy to say even after the six weeks ended, those who want to keep going do. And I have. So thank you for that, Shirzad. Right on your website, positiveintelligence.com. All right. Well, two closing bits of life advice. Could you briefly tell the story of tickling your son and asking him why you love him? Yeah, so in working with, uh, with a lot of high achievers, what I realized is they don't really have much uh, love for themselves. And they're constantly trying to achieve, achieve, achieve so that they can feel a little bit better about themselves. So what I realized as a father, my most important job was to make sure that my son had a sense of himself of being unconditionally lovable rather than conditional. So when he was young, he, had a, he loved tickling. And so I would start tickling him and taught him that he has to give me all the right answers for me to stop tickling him. So I would tickle <laughs> him a little and say, Kian, uh, tell me, why do I love you so much? And he would say, well, I don't know, Daddy. Why do you love me so much? Uh, and then I would say, well, is it because you're so good in sports and soccer? And he had learned to say, and he would say, no, Daddy, it's not because I'm good in sports. Is it because you are so good in math and, and uh, schoolwork? And he would say, no, Daddy, it's not because of that. I would say, is it because you're so handsome? You know, it's very good looking. He definitely got his jeans from my uh, wife. And you say, no, that is not because of that. And so I would go down a whole list of things of being kind and generous and all, and all these things. And at the end, I would pretend great frustration. And I would say, so why is it, Kian? Why do I love you so much? And he had learned to say, and he would say, that is because I am me. Mm. That is because I am me. And that's finally what would stop the tickling. Yeah, it would. And then sometimes I would ask him, so what does that mean, I am me? And he would say, you know, I, the, I am the, the person you held in the hospital. That person has never changed. The essence of that person has never changed. That's who you love. That's the essence of who I am. And that love will never change. Mm. Right? And that he doesn't have to perform for that love. So it's about us falling in love with our own essence and not needing to perform for our own self-love. That's what I want my son to have. And that's what I hope for everybody on this call. I want you to fall in love with yourself. And one thing you can do is go back to your own childhood picture. Find the childhood picture. That's one of the things we do on our six-week program. That's pretty transformational. Having you use your own childhood picture to remember who you truly are, that unchanging, beautiful essence being, unique as your fingerprint. And that being is worthy of unconditional love every day, regardless of performance. You don't have to perform every day to be worthy of love. You are unconditionally worthy. 
is that not a powerful lesson for every parent thinking about our kids and the unconditional love that we want and should be and sometimes fail to, but ultimately need to be reminded by people like you that we should be offering to our kids? Well, the last bit of advice, this is just the last paragraph of your book. So this will be the final excerpt that I share of Positive Intelligence. And I quote, again, the final paragraph of Positive Intelligence. Here it goes. Shirzad, you wrote, quote, I hope this book will help you fall more deeply in love with yourself to see the beauty of your own essence of the being you were the moment that you were born. You don't need to prove anything to anyone or perform for anyone or get to the top of any mountain. Your essence is always there as your sage, unchanged and waiting for you to see it, access its enormous powers and allow it to shine. I also hope you write, that you will choose to pause more often and fall in love with the amazing people all around you in work and at home. I hope you will be able to see past their off-putting saboteurs. I hope you will choose to have your sage see their sages long enough for them to rise and shine through. That is what great leaders, great team players, great parents, great educators, and great life partners do. They enable us to rediscover and see our own sages through their eyes. From my sage to yours, I see you. Thank you, David, for bringing that. Uh, I got chills listening to it because it's really heartfelt. And I want uh, to say that this work is not about changing you. This, uh, this work is about helping you remember who you really are. Remembering who you really are. You're far more magnificent than you have any idea through the lies of your saboteurs. Please make a point of remembering this amazing being that you are. Mm. Thank you, Shirzad. Thank you for the amazing work that you've done coming from the amazing person that you are. And I love how you start your TEDx talk. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a lot to think about and learn from. Maybe go back and listen to again at appropriate moments on this week's Rule Breaker Investing Podcast. I want to remind all of our listeners that coming this Saturday, a brief guided set of PQ reps with our own Shirzad Shamin as just an opportunity for you to hear a little bit from him and maybe think a little bit more about you and your world. So that's just ahead this weekend. But Shirzad, let me simply thank you for all of your work and for being with us on Rule Breaker Investing once again. And David, I am thrilled that you have actually been doing this practice uh, with your wife too. I'm, uh, I'm thrilled that you're taking the work so seriously and delighted to be back with your audience. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.